What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plasticfree305. Hey, guys. It's Dave from The Dollop. Listen, obviously a rough couple of weeks or more for some people. We know a lot of you guys have lost your jobs. We know uh, that a lot of you are are sick. And we know a lot of you guys are scared because you have kids and uh, you don't know what to do. And then there's uh, immunocompromised people who have are being forced to work jobs. So understand, there's a lot of people in your position. You are 100% not alone. And because there's so many people in your position, we can get stuff done. Uh, I, we can take the state of New York and, as, and New York as an example. Uh, the governor passes and the legislation uh, that's passed to uh, just freeze mortgages and yet not rents. So landlords don't have to pay their mortgages on their buildings and yet they can collect money. That's the kind of insane corruption that needs to end. We need to have rent forgiveness. We need to have rent, f- rent freezes. We need to have anti-retaliatory measures against landlords and an eviction moratorium. Listen, people need to call their leaders and demand this, not ask for it. And that needs to be happening in every city, in every state, everywhere. And those of you who have, uh, can pay your rent, you also need to be calling for your fellow Americans who don't have money to pay rent because they lost their job or they're sick. We all have to do it. And if a time call comes for a rent strike, if you can pay your rent, you have to join with your neighbors and not pay your rent. We need to change the system, and we need to change it now. Because I tell you what, we can see what they're doing in government, and it ain't great. It's certainly not to help us. They're just trying to figure out how to help the businesses. That's pretty much where we're at. So, look, there's power in numbers. I th- I'm hoping this is a big change moment. But again, no, you're not alone. And you can reach out to other people and you can find millions who are in your same same position. Uh, so this is going to be a rough ride. But hopefully when we get through it on the other side, we've changed a lot of shit. Hang in there. Nobody. Anybody from uh, San Anselmo? Hey, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Sleepy Hollow. Dragon? Pendragon. Oh, Pendragon. Still the best story. I'm considering trying to go visit one of those guys in prison. Sure. <laughs> Not the lead guy, one of the other, the younger guys. Oh, okay. I thought it was, was going to be weird. But no, okay. the kid who... <laughs> now you're going to go meet a young up-and-comer. That's better. <laughs> Guy who got into it late. I think that's the hitch your wagon to that. He didn't get into it late. He just got sucked into the business. Sure, yeah. You don't want to kill the guy. <laughs> no, no, of course not. He's just hanging around with an older guy, and he's like, "Hey, we should kill this guy." Okay, and you, and you do it, and you're like, "All right, oh, fuck." Now I'm in Vacaville for life. Get this out of your system before you go for the visit. <laughs> it's a little too jokey. Do we have any any announcements we want to make or anything? Is there anything we have to tell people? Uh, you can go to GarethReynolds.com. I got some stand-up dates coming up. Go oh. to that. And check it out. 
Be fun. That's I mean, nice. who the hell knows when this one's going up, right? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, Some exactly. So go let's up months point. later. Okay, great. So yeah, go there. I'm going to future cities that I haven't even heard about yet. Ooh, not exciting. Well, we'll have to suspend the tour halfway through the year because of the coronavirus. Do you see why I love hanging out with this gentleman? Do you see? It's like a depressed Santa. <laughs> uh, my dad would be so proud I was playing here, but he's dead. And it was kind of a pathetic death. You're just more comfortable with it than anyone else. It's just so it's hard. It's your dad, so it's hard for us to know what to do. You're listening to the dollop. This is a bisexual American history podcast. Each week, I read a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. Well done. Well done. You Thank know you. your part. Yeah, you forgot you're to say your name again, but that'll, that's fine. Did I? I didn't know we were going to do a note session. But... My name's Dave Anthony. Great. Right on time. Son of Michael Anthony. Who's going to come up in this episode? What? Yeah. <laughs> what? September 23rd, 1941. <laughs> That's quite a teaser. George Jackson was born on the west side of Chicago to Lester and Georgia Bay Jackson. B, okay. sorry. It just, it does, it, it is spelled Bay. <laughs> I think, do you have something going on with this person? It's, I probably should have spell checked. It's Valentine's George Day. was the second of five kids. Lester worked very hard at the post office, 16-hour days. Wow. Lester had a hard time showing emotions. Sure. Told you my dad would come up. <laughs> According... According to uh, Paul Libertari's uh, book, uh, The Road to Hell, quote, George couldn't remember one display of genuine affection or sensitivity from Lester the whole time he was growing up. Hearing that book title... What? The Road to Hell. Yeah. Okay. It could be anything. It sounds like it's going to get weird. Why? (laughs) The Road to Hell? It might be a bar. Or a casino. Sure. Whatever. All quotes uh, will be from Libertori's book unless otherwise noted. George grew up in a black neighborhood and everything was extremely segregated. Okay. And George is white? No, George is black. George is black, okay. Uh, The first day he went to school was the first time he saw a white person. Okay. Get used to that image. (laughs) We're out there. He walked up to a white boy in the schoolyard and was a little freaked out. He ran his hand hand over the kid's straight hair. Okay. 
And then scratch. Has he said anything to the kid yet, or he's no. just sort of like, whoa? Yeah, he's he's real. Yeah, it's what he's doing. Yeah. And then he scratched the kid's cheek to see if there was any black underneath. Wow. I mean, this kid at some point has to say something. It's not okay. a great. We go to the same school. The kid then walked over, picked up a baseball bat, and hit George over the head. Jesus Christ. Well, he is white. We know that for sure. <laughs> I'm Holy sure he's a cop shit. now. Yeah. Uh, he knocked George unconscious. What a great lesson for George to learn on the first day. White people are bad. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, okay. That's why I don't see him. Uh, so his mom, uh, the next day, switched him to a private black Catholic school. Okay. Each summer, George's mom sent him to his grandmother's in rural southern Illinois, where he learned to use guns and hunt. Good. Great. The road Less- to hell. Lester moved uh, the family into the Troop Street Projects, thinking it would be better than their apartment. Okay. That did not work. Yeah. The projects were not a good influence on George. He hung out with other angry kids and stopped attending school regularly. Okay. He began getting picked up for shoplifting and other small crimes. Nice. His parents had another son, and George bonded with the baby, baby Jonathan, Instantly. But George was out of control, and he would now disappear for days at a time. He's like 14. Okay. So Jesus. you can imagine, 14, Chicago, you want to explore the world a little bit. Sure. So you just, you just vanish for a while. Yeah. Come back. What's up, Mom? Dad? How's my baby? I'm 18 now. My baby? Yeah. <laughs> it's mine. In 1956, the family moved to Watts in Los Angeles to escape the bad influences. Wait, the, the decision... <laughs> The decision-making what? as far as where to move. <laughs> yeah, is was... the next choice hell? That's where he goes next? He's like, this will be better. I think this will be better. Yeah, that was a, not a great choice. Sure. But they had relatives in Los Angeles. So, okay. You know, what? Uh, Lester got a transfer to another post office there. Now, on their very first day in L.A., Lester went over to a relative's house, and so George got into his dad's Hudson and started driving it. Jesus. He could barely reach the pedals and pretty quickly crashed it through a barbershop glass window. Jesus, that's a bold crash. Uh, So that obviously was not great. Right. Uh, He quickly started running with a gang called the Capones. Good. So like a good force in the world. That's right. Right. Uh, So he's like 15 or 16. I think he's 15. Anyway, he's six feet tall and 200 pounds. Well, this dude should be driving. I don't think there's no... How is he not reaching the pedals? How big is this Hudson? Just yeah, has no bottom? You're right. you're it's right. like a Flintstone car? Yeah. That's fair. I think he grew up a little bit after the car. Yeah, it's well... Like maybe we'll say a year has passed or something. A year? It's I don't, a I big guess. year. I don't know. How, long did he, how long did he run with the Capones? They grow, you, you should they not grow be asking a lot me any age. questions. They grow a lot of kids grow a lot at that age. Sure. They spring it up. Uh, the first time he was arrested was on January 5th, 1957, for riding a stolen mice- motorcycle. Okay. Uh, he said he had a pink slip, and the cops were like, oh, that's your signature on it. Okay. So, right. Uh, two weeks later, he was arrested for burglarizing a motorcycle business. Look, he's There's finding a, a hobby that he likes. You know yeah, what I mean? He's that's in the motorcycle. You should nurture that. They know, should be cool. Yeah, I don't know why we're, you know, nurture. 
taking that away from him. Yeah, let him do it. Uh, he got into a fight with a cop who tried to search him at the station. He confessed uh, to the crime and was sent to juvenile hall. Wait, at the station was where they did the search? No, uh, he, uh, yeah, they, well, when they get you to the station, they're going to they're put you in jail. They, they look through your pockets and stuff. Hey, they look at your pockets beforehand. I've been to jail, okay? Jack. Well, maybe it was different in 1957. <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, so after he got out of juvenile hall, he was quickly arrested again for burglary. Motorcycles? <laughs> I don't know. It was a department store. Okay. Uh, Lester refused to bail George out, and George was sent to a youth facility in Paso Robles. Okay. Paso Robles. Uh, yeah. It's up north. Hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours. All oh, right, I'm in San Francisco. <laughs> I'm not in Los Angeles. That happens. It's about an hour and a half north of Los Angeles, maybe two hours. Sure. Um, he, was, he got eight months. Okay, shit. Yeah. While he was there, he pretended he was so stupid that he couldn't understand basic instructions to get out of work detail. Smart. That's... <laughs> First thing you should do in any situation like that is set the lowest bar possible. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. You're like, I don't understand how a broom works. <laughs> They're like, yeah, fuck. All right, next guy, you know? You can just be in your cell eating Doritos it's all day. Pretty bad to not How was get... work? <laughs> It's pretty bad not to get how a broom works, though. Like, you literally have to brush with the wrong side on the ground. Wait, there's a right side? <laughs> whoa, whoa, there's a lot of info coming at me right now, dude. Yeah. You just play it like that. Like, yeah. What? So, wait, I, I use... Walk me through it again? You take that and you put it on the ground and you, you push. I don't think I can push with this, though. Won't it go through the no, floor? Do you do this. No, you don't push down. You sideways along the ground. Uh, I kind of need to be walked through this one more time. I'm sorry. I've walked you through it nine times. Uh, so what is it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to get it. I want to be a team player. I just don't. Yeah. You rode, you rode a motorcycle, though. Uh, nah, yeah, but... And then I fell. That's not in. That's not what we heard in the report. It Give me the fucking broom. <laughs> Goddamn broom. Uh, George read a lot in his cell. Sure. When he was released, he headed for Los Angeles, but he stopped in Bakersfield, and he yeah. met a girl right. that no one's ever cheered Bakersfield. Yeah. No. Either. Literally. Even, you must think that's where yeah. actual bakers live. Otherwise, that's inexcusable. Yeah. Usually, people just go, I'm not from there. And then he stopped in Methsville. Uh, so he stops there and he meets a girl. So then he's like, well, I'm going to stay here a while. Sure. Uh, he couldn't make the journey to Los Angeles? Well, he was going there, but then a girl. And, you know, girls have... I'm aware. Yeah. I think we're all very you aware. Can, our, our stuff goes in there. Yep. That's... But, uh, Sort of why I was trying to... Yep, we're good. Thank you for that. It feels great. Stop it. Right now. You can go on a guide, too. That feels good also. All right. I think we're all... Let's do it. Let's uh, move it forward, sir. Just holes are fun. (laughs) She's a lucky lady. (laughs) She She likes it. She, like, she likes it. All right. 
Just l go back to the she iPad. She lets me Stop do it all the time. Fiddling. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, it's weird what you're doing. She doesn't... Gripping that phallus a little too much. Buddy. She doesn't... Stop. Sometimes she asks. Stop. What a crazy thing to say at the end, by the way. Begs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, begs. Uh, so he stays with his girl a bit, but then he needs money, right? Sure. Uh, so he robbed a gas station. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, for $105 and was arrested again. Wow. Now, while he was waiting to be sentenced, he saw another inmate who was about to be released, so he tied the guy up and then walked out pretending to be that guy. That's... Sometimes our prisons are cool. Sometimes you're like, yeah, maybe we do have a good system. <sighs> Didn't you just come in here? No, I'll get out today. See you later. <laughs> George said... <laughs> you George... be quiet over there. Pipe down. <laughs> New you guy. Fresh meat. <laughs> Shut your mouth, newbie. Yeah, we see the number. We're not idiots. George said, quote, all blacks do look alike to certain white people. I mean, a racial advantage for once. There yeah. you go. Yeah, like finally you're like, hey, you know what? There's actually an upside to this. <laughs> uh, well, obviously he got out and he needed money again, so he robbed a gas station. Smart. Go and back there, get another $105, and he was arrested again. Oh, yeah, again. he's arrested. Great. So he better yeah. hope that there's some other dude coming out again. <laughs> uh, so he took a deal from the uh, district attorney uh, to get a light sentence. Okay, great. Uh, but the DA fucked him, and he was given one year to life. Wow. What kind of a sent? That's like when a board game's like, ages 2 to 99. You're like, no, that's not. You have a demo, and you're not stating it properly. Is there an opener over there? Yeah, there's an opener right here, motherfucker. Um, uh, so this was a common sentence back then. One to uh, life? One to life. So it was how, uh, th how they would handle uh, people of color. Yeah, you could just be like, well, you're a problem, so we could put you in jail for a year or forever. Wow. It's just a way to get someone It's totally gone. ruins you. Yeah, it ruins yeah. your mind, yeah. Yeah. Uh, good times, California. Yeah. Not a racist place. He was sent... To uh, a prison in Soledad, which is in Central California, beautiful area. Mm -hmm. How far away from Los Angeles where we are is it? It's about uh, from where we are. It's about two and a half hours north. Great. Oh. Uh, so the psychiatrist at Soledad wrote of George, "quote He rationalized at a great length that his antisocial behavior was justified." And that it is his intention to continue with antisocial acts until he accumulates a sufficiently large sum of money that would satisfy him. So his plan is to just be alone until he gets rich and then he'll be happy? No, he's going to rob people until he... Not antisocial, not in, the, not in the manner of like, I don't want to be around people. Like antisocial, like, I don't care about social norms. Oh. I'm going to take what I fucking want. Until he's rich. Yeah. Great. Better. So it's, a, it's at least it's a fucking plan. Yeah. No, it's a two-tiered plan. So he was, uh, he was sent you. to... What? That's impressive. What I just did? Oh, yeah, you're like a monkey. Oh, my dad was an alcoholic. <laughs> so I learned all kinds of skills. <laughs> this just takes me to him holding you while he's opening a beer while you're sitting on his chest. Like, <laughs> that wasn't a beer. 
Seagram Seven, buddy. That was the drink. The drink that was Seven Up, like some kind of hillbilly. He was sent to San Quentin in May of 1962, but he was 18 years old, so San Quentin refused to take him. Okay. Because that's too young, they thought. Wow. Imagine when they did that. That's insane, yeah. Imagine a time where a person was like, no. No, that would be Because of morals. (laughs) You'd be like, "Ah, all right, we had our fun. Buzz us in. Uh, So he, he was sent to an institution at Tracy, California. I would not do that for Tracy either. Yeah. I don't have you guys. Do you want to hang out with the Bakersfield wooer? Just... Maybe you. It's Valentine's Day. If you guys are alone, you and the Bakersfield wooer might have a Tracy Bakersfield summer autumn sort of vibe. Which is the pitch. Uh, there, George and his cellmate, who became his best friend, James Carr, formed what they called the Wolf Pack. Nice. Nice. It's a good prison name. Yeah. Prison, yeah. Yeah. And especially when your celly's your bestie, that's fun. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. It's better than the rapey guy. Yeah. Right. Uh, it was a gang that was evolved in selling drugs, booze, and pimping gay prisoners. Just like wolves. <laughs> Just like regular wolves in nature. It is. It's mostly what wolves do in nature. So they have a shady business inside prison. Prison, right. Yeah. It's not crazy, obviously. Uh, George uh, was now massive. He was doing a thousand push-ups a day on his fingertips. Oh my God! Why doesn't he just bend the bars and leave? <laughs> a thousand push-ups on your fingertips. Yeah, it feels like the start of a math riddle. Like literally, I couldn't do one. Like fingertips. Yeah, I mean his fingertips. Must, his fingers must have been huge. His fingers just were probably like bullshit. your arms. Yeah. Like, his fingers were, were like the rock's arms. Yeah. Now we're just building him up to epic proportion. <laughs> I bet his fingers were like mountains, and his hands was a galaxy. He also self-taught himself a bastardized version. <laughs> yeah, it was a double. I did a double one. I think you're missing one himself in that sentence, huh? <laughs> Was it himself that did it? Yes. Be explicit. He self-taught himself. Himself, though? Yes. Okay. As opposed to self-teaching another guy. Right. He self-taught himself a bastardized... Ver- I'm going to say... I'm going to keep saying it. He self-taught himself a bastardized version of karate. Oh. So... So self-taught defense himself. Yes, so he, in, I assume he got books from the prison library well, or something? Well, one would hope that if he's self-teaching himself karate, he's going to have a book <laughs> or two. Otherwise, it's like, what are you doing? What I imagine karate is. <laughs> Mostly finger flicking. <laughs> what are you doing, George? George, he's dead. Leave him alone. Karate. George, you killed him already. George, he died an hour ago. Let him be. My fingers are crazy. Yeah, you're, yeah. Unstoppable. Like the rock. Who? Doesn't exist yet. Yeah, I was going to say. Whoa. Killed 14 people with these fingers. Anyway, you going to sweep or what's the deal? (laughs) 
your angle. I don't know how to use that fucking thing. Uh, so George and Carr became muscle for battling Mexican gangs. The Mexican gangs are fighting over control of the drug trade and stuff. Sure. Sounds like for people in another country, it sounds like they're outside of prison. It but this is like, what our prisons are like it, on the it, inside. Yeah, it, it's nice to hear about how crime flourishes when you've been put <laughs> away for crime. Uh, George was also a collector. Sure. A prisoner would give him a debt. And George would go collect it for him. See, again, I went vanilla version. I went real sweet. You were like, oh, I like, little, I like to make model cars. Oh, George, you little cutie. <laughs> Look at your shelf of little cars you made. And then he started buying up debts so he could collect them. You know, like credit card companies do. Sure. They buy debt from other credit card companies, except they don't, they're worse. So none of this was helping with his parole situation. Oh, right, parole. So now he had tons of disciplinary, disciplinary infractions. Six months after arise, arriving at Tracy, he was sent back to San Quentin because he was a, quote, management problem. Okay. So he was denied parole every year. Uh, when it looked like he might get paroled in 1965, Lester wrote a letter to the board warning them not to. Wow. Jesus. The most concerning thing to prison officials and Lester was that George had a growing political awareness. Oh, there it is. How dare he? <laughs> no, wrong. And a revolutionary outlook. Uh-oh. In 1966, George was working in the prison as an orderly when the prison's boxing champion, W.L. Nolan, approached him. W.L. had been stabbed in a fight, and George secretly stitched up his wounds. <laughs> Where was the referee on that one? <laughs> All right. Separate, boys. Boy, I, you really got him in the gut good there, didn't you? I just love this is a prison where you just walk around and you're just bleeding and you're, no one's... Yeah. Oh, go ahead and go ahead and go in there. What are you doing? Just cruising through. Why is there blood all over you? I... And a boxing champion. Yeah. All right, boys. We're going to legally beat the fuck out of each other today. So W.L. and George soon became good friends, and George, through W.L., was introduced to leftist politics. That's when you woo. That's right. Not Bakersfield. George was constantly getting locked in solitary. He hit two inmates over their heads with a pipe in totally separate incidents, and they would get put in solitary for uh, long periods, and in solitary, he started to read about leftist politics. Yeah, so probably not the right place to put him for their, for their sakes. He started reading, reading Franz Fernand, a black Algerian psychoanalyst who believed revolutionary violence was necessary. His book, The Wretched of the Earth, became an ideological model for radicals. George, quote, I met Marx, Lenin, Trotsky, Engels, and Mao, and they redeemed me. Now George had an understanding of racism in a capitalist system. Well, power. George and W.L. formed a secret study group focused on the works of Marx, and they began to politicize their gang. In 1966, George and W.L. co-founded a Marxist revolutionary organization they called the Black Guerrilla Family. Hmm. The Marx brothers might be better. Uh... Maybe, woo. Modern day, not so much. 
Along with fellow prisoners, uh, George Big Jake Lewis, James Carr, Bill Christmas, Tony Gibson, and others, he tried Bill to... Christmas. Great. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, love it. That's just... Yeah. How was that guy in jail? Willie Christmas. He should always, they should always be like, yeah, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Christmas. We'll see you what next year. What could you possibly have done? Yeah. He tried to, quote, transform the black criminal mentality into a black revolutionary mentality. The guards and administration just thought George's change was manipulation. Associate Warden Park said George was a hoodlum and a sociopath. Quote, a very personable hoodlum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. I mean, he's a really nice guy. Yeah. I mean, I love the guy. He didn't give a shit about revolution, but he was still influencing other prisoners. Uh, a Chicano inmate, Talamenitz, uh, quote, every time I went by his cell, he'd say, come here, come here. He'd be quoting stuff out of his book. He'd want you to lay this revolutionary rhetoric on me. But I was like, you got anything to eat or a sex book? This guy, <laughs> perfect number two in the movie. <laughs> hey, man, I understand about all that Mark stuff, but is there a Twinkie and something I can come in? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it after I pump this pillow for a little while. <laughs> Get out of the clouds, George. This is jail, not school. <laughs> I'm hungry, man. I got to hustle something. I ain't got time for that stuff. But George always persisted. Talamanance said, quote, he told me about Che Guevara, Fidel Castro. And I said, Fidel Castro? That guy's a communist and he killed Kennedy. Fuck that dude. Wow, it's like a film strip. Like you'd show in school like, <laughs> what communist? Fidel Castro? Man, that guy's an L7. <laughs> and George said, no, man, he's a good dude. He's fighting Uncle Sam. And I said, he is? Because anybody fighting Gabacheria, white America, you can get me on your side. That influenced me right away. And then George would teach other prisoners his own self-defense, karate, kung fu, whatever it was, yeah, that right. he completely developed by himself. Sure. And they would think that was awesome, and then using that, he would get them into I'm political. a beige belt. <laughs> George was transferred to Soledad Prison in December 1968. He was now developing his idea of what the role of prisoners should, uh, should be in the coming revolution. He would later write, quote, prisoners must be reached and made to understand that they are victims of social injustice. This is my task. The sheer number of the prisoner class and the terms of their existence make them a mighty reservoir of revolutionary potential. I mean, this is really a downside to your one life policy because this yeah. dude is just getting stronger, sharper, smarter, more informed, and scarier to the establishment. Yeah, but that's why you have it to life. Yeah, but still, I mean, even in there, you'd be like, what the hell, he's getting... He's really reading down there, isn't he? No hey, reading. No, no, no reading in solitary either. Hey, don't you want some sex books and some food? <laughs> uh, but at this point, there's only 300,000 prisoners in the U.S. Oh, my God. <laughs> we take that up a notch. Uh, uh, it's just how long until you realize it's also a commodity? What? It's for profit. What are you talking about? You can make money off it. What? Now, I know you like your old prison system. Yeah. But what I'm offering you is a way to change it. I'm sort of the Tom Selleck of prisons. Huh? I think there's a way to benefit a little bit more from the prison. Sure, we're here to rehabilitate the guys. <laughs> but maybe beyond that, we just start getting huge deals to build huge prison complexes, and then the goal is to just fill them. <laughs> 
wait, we can make money off putting people in jail? Yes. Fuck, that's awesome. Yeah. Because the truth is, remember how great slavery was for everybody? Oh, well, yeah. now we've created a new version of it. Wait. We can put people in jail and then they can work? Yes. What if there was a constitution that in that constitution it said prisoners could still be slaves? Get the fuck out of here. Wait, that's what we did. How many easy payments? <laughs> we never changed it. Oh, my God. You can still be a slave according to the constitution. We did it. We're white. White. <sighs> they got a little preachy. Uh, so George was transferred uh, to Soledad, back to Soledad, in December 1968. Uh, did I already say that? Yes. Um, so after impressing a new inmate Johnny Spain with his martial arts skills... <laughs> Whoa, what do you call it? Karate, unless you know what karate is. <laughs> then I call it something different. He gave Spain revolutionary material to read. Now, Soledad was a racist nightmare of a prison. The guards stoked racism between black, white, and Mexican gangs. And George wanted all the gangs to come, or come together and fight their common enemy, but prison authorities had a strict segregation policy and just encouraged black and white prisoners to taunt and race bait each other. Just so society. Like a, like a prison. Yeah, right. <laughs> so capitalism. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, classism, yeah. Uh, the white gang Hitler's Little Helpers. What? Guys. I didn't. Guys. How are no. They, but no. how are they... Keep pitching. Keep pitching. There's better ones out there. I can't believe... I can't Hitler's believe it, Little Helpers? Yeah, I can't believe it's a white Yeah, gang. that's right. Whatever. We're cute. We know it. Yeah. We're white. Whatever. Yeah. Come on. You guys, let's sing the song. Cute. We're Hitler's Little Helpers. We represent Hitler's Little Helpers. <laughs> Hitler's Little Helpers. Hitler's Little Helpers? Yeah. I mean, we're laughing at it, but they would probably kill us in a second. Yes, I'm sure that they will definitely kill us even after this, but yeah. still. Keep going. But I'm picturing little guys. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do, little Hitler? Don't let go of my head! Just get to the body! So Hitler's little helpers were allowed to just walk past the black prison prisoner cells and throw sh their shit at them. Throw their... When you say their shit... They would shit in their okay, cell. Okay, all right, all right. So Hit Hitler's little helpers poo. So here we go. The shitlers, right there, way better. <laughs> you just keep pitching. <laughs> Far better. So every day, they would just be in their cells, and just uh, Aryan shit would come through the bars. Oh, but it's the cleanest, Dave. It's the best. Of the feces, it's the best. The purest. Now, George and his brother Jonathan barely knew each other because Jonathan was seven when George went away. Okay. Uh, but they began to write to each other in 1969 when Jonathan was a teen. All right. Oh, get, get ready, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's been reading. A relationship developed. George wrote that he expected Jonathan to join his revolutionary group. At the time, at the time Jonathan was a student at Bel Air, uh, sorry, Bell High School in Pasadena. Uh, it was a fairly integrated school for the time. Jonathan hung out with a, a group of white kids who published a satirical newspaper called The Pagan Rights. Eesh. And Jonathan wrote for it. Okay. So pretty classic revolutionary stuff. Sure, yeah. Uh, W.L. was transferred to Soledad in 1969. And later that year, 
he and five other inmates filed a civil suit against the prison administration claiming the guards made alliances with white gangs and it put black prisoners' lives at risk. Boy, that is quite a swing. Yeah. (laughs) It'll go great. In January 1970, a new yard was opened in what was the O block, which was where they kept all the baddest of the bads. Sure. And the prison allowed the most violent white and black prisoners into the yard at the same time. Oh, Jesus Christ. A fight broke out. What? (laughs) Why? I don't know. I don't know. Sir, you're not mic'd. Shut up. I can see that coming. It's his tagline, though. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good if he you're going to have a catchphrase. Yeah, in his head, he's just like his sitcom's out in the world and it's on him. The camera's on him. Yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. He literally... <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> uh, so the fight starts, and. Uh, a guard shot without shooting a warning shot first, which was very out of, uh, not, not standard. Mm-hmm. He killed W.L. Nolan and two other black inmates. Even the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood gang thought it was egregious. Yeah, that really is. I don't think he used that word. No. But. Excuse me, Hitler's little helpers, we have a question. <laughs> Yeah, if the Aryans are like, whoa, whoa, dude, I mean, we're Aryan, but fair is fair. <laughs> Quote, they had no right to shoot those hammers. Hell, it was only a fist fight. Though he might not have said that if a ricochet had not shot off one of his testicles. Oh. Now I don't know what to feel. <laughs> totally fine with it. Yeah, no, obviously I'm fine with it. No, no. <laughs> but his pure sperm. <laughs> Quick, pick him up. Pick him up, boys. Get my boys off the ground. Oh, they're flapping like little tadpoles. Sick of all the beautiful blonde babies. <laughs> I want to bury them individually. <laughs> One by one, all a million and two. I bury mine individually every night. Oh, sometimes I put them in a hole. Okay, lots getting explained right now. <laughs> uh. So the guard admitted he didn't fire a warning shot. Wow, I mean, this is a different era. He was also an expert marksman, so he was clearly shooting to kill the unarmed prisoners. Parents of the dead filed the suit. They won 70000 wow. altogether. During the trial, a white prisoner said he knew uh, beforehand that the guards were going to shoot. Everybody knew who said a grand jury ruled the killings were justifiable homicide. What a crazy term. Can you imagine that happening in America? Not in my America. Not in this day and age. That night, a new white guard at the prison was grabbed and dragged up three flights of stairs to the top of the cell block George was in. He was beaten, thrown off the building, and killed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people are clapping on the inside. Yes. 
George and two other... I didn't other... see that coming. <laughs> George and two other black inmates were charged with murder. There was zero evidence. Sure. They just decided they did it. Yeah. Prison authorities said he was the only one who could have done it. Uh, George had had, many, at this point, many, many physical fights with guards. But now he was really marked. A white prisoner was told by a guard he would get special treatment if he killed George. Wow. But the, he was like, I'm, I don't want to fuck with George. Yeah, yeah, everyone was, like, was fucking scared of how George. How would you kill him? Yeah. Yeah. So he seen like, his fingers? He's like, <laughs> <laughs> He'll he flick like, no, my head. No, I'm going to pass. George and uh, the two inmates who were charged became known as the Soledad brothers. Leftists outside the prison believed they were being framed. In 1970, George had his first book published, which was called Soledad Brother, and it was just a collection of letters he had written while in prison hmm. and a condemnation of the racism of white America. Now, at this point, the Black Panthers were very popular with the hip kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what I is going on know. with the affirmation at this show? That, like, I don't know what that meant. A whistle, a regular whistle was fine. That was like a falconeer's call. Yeah, seriously. I support you. Maybe the Black Panthers had a whistle? Ah, how great would that be? Uh Uh-huh, on the hill. It's meeting time. Shh. 15 minutes. Sorry, that's just a bird. Nothing. Uh, Leonard Bernstein hosted a New York cocktail party for the Panthers, and Hollywood celebrities fundraised for them. Bobby Seale, quote, all I had to do was call up Marlon Brando or Vanessa Redgrave, and they'd send us a check for $5,000 in a minute. Jesus. The Soledad brothers became uh, the new cause for the left and famous. George attracted, the, uh, attracted attention after the publication of Solid Brother, but it soon became liberal propaganda, and George wanted his writing to serve the revolution. He began studying the Foucault theory of the Cuban Revolution, a re- revolutionary strategy developed by Che Guevara that states a small band of revolutionaries can wage guerrilla warfare on the capitalist state. Yes. <laughs> Good now, lesson. Foco, as George understood it, was a slow buildup of a guerrilla mobile force that would break him out of prison, and then this group would become the hub of a revolutionary army. George believed he was the, quote, Foco motor. The Focoder. <laughs> of the revolutionary army, and he would be called the Dragon, like a black Che Guevara. Okay. So he's the Dragon. Sure. Black Panther Huey Newton would be the political leader, and his group uh, would provide covert support while George's group operated underground. Okay. George put Jimmy Carr in charge of the breakout operation. Now, Carr had just been paroled, but Newton was not being the political leader George wanted. He was getting into cocaine and Cavassier, and he walked around Oakland in fancy custom suits and was now carrying a cane. Well... Cocaine. (laughs) 
He got into S&M and insisted on an open sexual policy with the Panthers so he could have access to all the women. And a few people left the Panthers because of this. Yeah, I mean, you're like, this is not what we got involved here yeah, for. I didn't, I, w- I didn't come for a fuck party. Well, it, let's at uh, least vote. Can we at least vote on it? A fuck party? Well, no, that I can, you know, bang your wives and girlfriends. What? It's not a cult. Can it be? <laughs> is that crazy to think? Uh, yeah. Maybe we should take a vote? I mean, but no, we're I not. count for 10 votes. We're revolutionaries. All in favor. No, uh, what the fuck is that? Opposed? All right, one. All right, great. Where's no. your wife at? <laughs> I'm looking to bang. At the same time, Huey was trying to make a deal to make George's story into a movie. He talked George into signing over the rights to his next book, Blood in My Eye. Mm. The Panthers would get four-fifths of the royalties and George one-fifth. Wow, fair. Good deal. Yep, good deal. Uh, during all this, Jimmy Carr was working as Newton's bodyguard, but he also spent a lot of time in Santa Cruz where he set up a guerrilla training camp in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Okay. He soon realized Newton and the Panthers were not the revolutionaries he thought they were. Quote, what I found was a handful of criminals with the same worldview I had had as a pool hall hustler, hustler reinforced with heavy doses of ideology and drugs. Now, law enforcement wanted to keep an eye on Carr after he was released, so they got a snitch. Carr's brother-in-law, Louis Tackwood, was now being paid to inform on Carr by the LAPD Red Squad. Wow. Got to bring that back. Yeah. The Red Squad. What is the Red Squad? You know, hunting commies. Oh, they're the commie hunters? Yeah. They were everywhere. They still are. Yeah, they are. They're They're on uh, Twitter a lot. Yeah, they're on Twitter. Jesus Christ, they're all over Twitter. One of them's running for... uh, for president? I think a few. Anyone who's not a centrist. So one. Right. <laughs> you were saying Bloomberg, right? Yeah. My man. In 1969, Maybe UC- Trump. UCLA prof- associate professor, feminist activist, and Black Panther Angela Davis was fired. Was fired for being associated with the Communist Party. Uh, this was pushed by Governor Ronald Reagan. So she, what? Guys. Our best governor. Guys. Our best governor. Our best president. Our best president. Yeah. You hiss, but in. Why are they booing? In 30 years, Trump will be seen as the new Reagan. Doesn't that feel good, everybody? <laughs> Isn't that a good feeling? <laughs> well, Welcome I'm to- sorry. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing the last eight years. Mum was on the case. Uh, so, but she sued and she was reinstated and given her professorship back. Then, hold on. Then in June 1970, the regents fired her again, this time for inflammatory language. Because she had said the regents, quote, killed, brutalized, and murdered People's Park demonstrators. Which is true. Well, still... Inflammatory language, regardless. She also called the police pigs, which is another name. <laughs> she hurt uh, George heard of her because of the firing, and he had his family reach out. Okay, and she was like, "I don't know who you are. Right, give a shit." Okay, but this is before he became a solo dad brother, and then now he's become cause. Uh, uh, he's the big cause, so she came to a court hearing, and they were introduced, and instant love. Okay. 
She told George she had a dream about them as lovers in combat. Quote, we were together fighting pigs and winning. Mm. It's a fucking dream. Don't wake up. That's right. Yeah. The two saw the world through the same revolutionary lens. They, be- they believe in violence as a means. Based on a recent slaughter of peaceable uh, South Africans, Angela said, quote, nonviolence is a philosophy of suicide. Now, she had owned guns since 1968. She had a .380 uh, Browning semi-automatic. It's a nice piece. <laughs> it's a beauty. I love that Yeah, model. what do you like about it? Barrel's tight, and you got a good trigger area. It's got a tight sweet, barrel. Sweet handle. Yeah. Fits right in the shoulder or hand. Both yeah, potentially. It's a pistol, so. Yeah, it's a pistol, obviously. Why you would put a... Well, sometimes I like to put a pistol up here. It's called parrot, parroting, mm-hmm. where you just treat a pistol like a parrot. Yeah. Actually, your shoulder takes the brunt of it. Yeah. If you're in an alley fight, you want it on your shoulder. They don't say that a lot. But uh, the grip, the heat, the ammo. The heat? The heat of it, yeah. It's yeah. Not, it's not very hot, which I like, yeah. Yeah. It's a cool and, gun. Uh, huh? Like a cool gun? It's I like... wouldn't say cool, but it's, it's, it's not your daddy's pistol. <laughs> I'll tell you that. This yeah. is, especially yours. He was yeah. a drinker. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's got a nice, nice, tight fucking caboose on it. Something you can really... Caboose? Yeah, bottom. Something you can yeah, really bottom. stick your hand in, get it in there. Yep. It's tight. Uh, you said that. Easy to, easy to slip in your pants, either front or back. Not great. Great safety. Great safety on it. Great safety. Great safety. Very clear if it's on or off. It says it right there. You can <laughs> yep. see it very clearly. Oh, that's on. Whoopsie. Yeah. What was I doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I love the mechanics. The coil. <laughs> great spring it's action. Got a nice coil. Spring action. Spring. It's yeah. got a spring. Yeah. Barrel. Yeah. Give me, I'll tell you what. Name a better barrel. <laughs> exactly. You can't. Colt, a Colt 45. Yeah, but that's just, uh, that's, I mean, that's a hacky one. That's like, who's your favorite comedian? Ooh, you know, whoever, like, uh, it's hacky. It's not a good answer, so don't use that anymore. And uh, I'm just telling you, if you go around gun circles, you're going to sound like a real jerk-off. Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's got a nice, nice caboose, good heat, tight, tight trigger, sweet bullets, hot barrel, dynamite coils, sweet-ass spring, and, uh, yeah, and as, uh, again, the safety, just very clear. Yeah. A lot of those safeties, they waffle. They have yeah. a few settings. You know, mm-hmm. on, are you kind of delicate? You know, medium safety. Wools, uh, heavy yeah. delicates, and then, yeah. you know, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, so I like a very simple on-off one sure. to me is, it's just, wait, look, if it ain't broke, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Yep. A nice model. Hmm? The Panthers are back. Mm-hmm. In Pasadena, George's brother Jonathan was not handling the charges against George well. If convicted, George would get the death penalty. So John started an underground paper called Iskra, the spark after Lenin's revolutionary sheet. In it, he wrote, quote, This is the era of the pig and has been for 190 years. Ever since the Second Continental Congress, the American system has been ripping off the people under the protective cloak cloak of so-called law and order. The voracious monster can be stopped if the people rise up and crush it. Jesus Christ, that's pretty good. Anyway, I'm 17. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 17, yeah. Yeah. And it's a good thing that, I mean, imagine that era. (laughs) We got away from the era of the pig, obviously. 
Now yeah, we're in the year of the monkey. Good. No. Or the rat. 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 See? Snake, actually. Rat and snake. George assigned Jonathan to be Angela's bodyguard. 17-year-old kid's now Angela's bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angela gave Jonathan the 380 Browning. One of George's early supporters was a woman named Joan Hammer, and she visited him often. She was white, good-looking, middle-aged. He got her to bring him anything he wanted. Angela and Jonathan would stay at her house in the Bay Area when they visited George. Okay. Now, Joan also had a room rented to a blonde San Jose student who was in her early 30s from Kansas City, also middle class. Jonathan started hitting on her. She was resistant at first. But eventually? But then pretty soon she was pregnant. There we go. Well, something tells me you skipped over the fun step. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's good to laugh. Yeah. Uh, So in April, Angela went to Western Surplus Store in Los Angeles and bought a carbine with a collapsible stock, two 30-round banana clips, and 100 rounds of ammo. A month later, 100 rounds of 30-caliber ammo. The next month, an M1 carbine, 200 rounds of bullets, and two banana clips. Yes. What's she doing? (laughs) (laughs) Just getting ready. Protection. Self-defense. Self-taught. Self-taught defense. Right. Okay. Because it just sounds like a lot. Yeah. Right. Okay. George visited San Quentin. uh, uh, George and San Quentin on August 3rd. This was the same day a San Quentin inmate and comrade of George's named... James McLean was going on trial in Marin County for assaulting a guard. Jonathan and Angela visited George the next day, and after, they went to a pawn shop and bought a shotgun with a box of shells. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's... Uh, is everything cool? Mm-hmm. The next day, Jonathan rented a yellow Ford van from Hertz in San Francisco and drove to the Marin County courthouse. And Jonathan went into a courtroom, the courtroom, McLean's courtroom, sure. wearing a knee-length overcoat and carrying a blue bulging briefcase. What an era where you could walk into a courtroom like that <laughs> and they wouldn't be like, eh. He's fine. Yeah, there's like no metal detectors even. It's just like, I'm going to go to the courtroom. Go ahead, sir, as you were. I mean, it's August. Yeah, but it's again, yeah, yeah. There's no coats. Did you take your jacket off, sir? No, I'm freezing. Uh, so... The, so, uh, where am I? Sorry. San Francisco. Okay. Don't forget. Yes, it. I'm in San Francisco. Uh, he didn't stay long. Uh, Jonathan left the courtroom, and then a few minutes later, he and Angela were at a gas station across the street from the courtroom a few minutes later. Um, this just happened to be the gas station right next to my grandparents' house. I used to steal tires out of the back and roll them down the courthouse hill into traffic. Sorry, you did? That was seamless. <laughs> I thought at the end you were gonna, there was, that was going to be attributed to someone who was uh, not you. No, it was me. Okay, cool. So I love that gas station. Doing your part, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, so anyway, the van wasn't starting, and it was in the courthouse parking lot, and they brought a mechanic back to the courthouse parking lot to help them, and uh, he ended up just saying, we well, need to push start it. So as Angela smoked a black cigar, the mechanic pushed the van until it started. Now, Jonathan, they drove back to visit George. Okay. Uh, Angela stayed out while, while Jonathan went in. And after they left, they were driving out. Angela's in the passenger seat. 
Jonathan's driving, and a convict watched them because they were screaming at each other as they drove away. And then they went back to the courtroom, and again, he's got his, he doesn't have his overcoat on. He's got a brown bag. He looks at the courtroom, and then he goes back out. Jesus Christ. And then he comes back in with his overcoat and his blue bulging briefcase, but the court had unexpectedly recessed for the day. Okay. So the next morning at 10.45 a.m., Jonathan returned to the courtroom. Okay, what's he wearing? Walk me through it. A long overcoat and a big bulging blue briefcase. And at this point, he sat in back. Now, McLean had called fellow inmates, William Christmas and Rochelle McGee, as witnesses, who were both George's comrades in the coming revolution. Okay. Now, the bailiff, at this point, looked at Jonathan, and he was like, all right, this is weird. This guy keeps coming in with he a He wore color. that yesterday. <laughs> Sir, you wore the same outfit yesterday. You look ridiculous. You have the same bulging briefcase with the barrel coming out the front. <laughs> so the bailiff starts walking toward Jonathan. So Jonathan jumps up and pulls out the Browning 380. Quote, okay, gentlemen, freeze. We're taking over. He gave the handgun to McLean, and they all got guns, and then they picked five hostages. Wow. Wow. Three white suburban housewives from the jury. That's the part I love. Yeah. I just love these Marin County women who are just like, yeah, it's so fucking great. (laughs) I'm just an alternate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They also took assistant DA Gary Thomas. That's where, that's a guy my dad knew. And the judge, Harold Haley, also my dad knew. Jonathan wanted to take a baby hostage. What? Motherfucking baby looking at me all fucking, what's up? What's up? I'm a baby. Goo goo gaga. That's a weird hostage. You ever put a a uh, gun uh, on a baby? Yes. It feels fucking great. It's not a bad feeling. It feels fucking great. It's not a bad feeling. Yeah. It's America. It is America. It's legal. They're used to it. Yeah, get them used to it. We train our babies in in the hospital to be able to... a lot of people talk about school shootings. I'm the only person saying, arm the babies. Arm the babies. Arm the babies. Let them fucking... Just let them go. Yeah, arm them. Yeah. Little tykes. I think we should replace their hands with actual guns. I like that idea a lot. I have no Mm. notes on that idea. So, McLean talked him out of taking the baby hostage. He also wanted to take an old, a really old lady hostage, and McLean was like, come on, dude. Yeah. McLean said, well, quote... Well, one to life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't... That's a bit much to applaud that. Uh, McLean said, quote, I don't want to kill anybody, and Jonathan replied, well, I want to kill somebody. Oh, God, if you're a hostage, you're like, hey, do you want to take me? Because I'm actually... <laughs> I don't want to be on this one anymore. I would rather I'd jump ship and go over there right away. McLean put uh, a, a noose around the judge's neck. Mm, I mean, crazy, but probably felt real good. Yeah. Uh, and then he taped the handle of the noose to the shotgun. Then he, oh, so, shit. Okay, so it goes, right. it goes around like this. Right. And it's like, right? Right. So the shotgun is now pointed at his chin. Right. Uh... And it's held in place. Now they slowly move out of the courtroom, guns pointed at hostages. 
So if you've ever been to the Marin County Courthouse, I worked there for a little while. Uh, super, like, wide open hallways. Uh, it's really wide. So there's all these sheriffs lining the hallway. And then as they walk by, they disarm the sheriffs. Oh, like, yeah, one by gun. one? Yeah, give me right. that gun. Give me that gun. Uh, as the elevator door shut, McLean yelled, quote, We want the Soledad brothers freed by 12 today. And then the elevator went down to the parking lot level, and they exited the building. McLean in front with the shotgun to the judge's chin. At the Hertz van, McLean jumped behind the wheel. As he did, he told the hostages they were going to the airport where they were going to get on an airplane. Oh. But McLean couldn't figure out how to start the van. Uh. So uh. J- Jonathan got in the driver's seat and started. McLean was in the passenger seat, and they drove out of the parking lot. Okay. The courthouse is very close to the highway. There were sheriffs and local cops everywhere. A squad of guards had also arrived from San Quentin. The guards later said they had been on their way back from a shooting range. Right, so they're stretched out, ready to go. Coincidental? No. No? No. (laughs) Uh, Jonathan had a gun in his hand, and he's holding it out the window as he drives. Well, that's a tell. That tell. I think it's them. I think that's the van. (laughs) Doesn't it look like them? No, you want to get a yellow van and point a gun out of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, (laughs) a big yellow Hertz van. (laughs) Uh, so now prison guards in this situation are not trained like other law enforcement. They are literally trained to not see hostages. Oh, what? Oh, yeah, of course, right. If anybody takes a hostage, it doesn't matter yeah, in a prison. it's just another prison. One of the guards shot. Then everyone started shooting. Jonathan <laughs> was shot in the hand, which he pulled in. Then the shotgun I mean, went off. By the way, that's a good lesson to learn. Yeah. Keep that hand in. Your parents always say it. Yeah. Put your hand in the fucking car. If you car. have a gun in your hand, keep it in the car. Yeah, always. Oh, they just go on and on. Now, come on, guys. Someday you'll be driving with a pistol in your hand. <laughs> keep them in. Treat it like a train. Treat it like a train? Yeah, treat it like a train. <laughs> you're going to be upset when you're older and you didn't treat it like a train. <laughs> Mark my words, my words, my words, my words. (laughs) Then the shotgun went off and the judge's face was blown off. Oh, what? What? I like how one guy laughed really hard. Yeah. (laughs) What? (laughs) You should have said speed bumps. So now, and I'm, are we, I'm assuming the judge is so, no longer... Yeah, he's gone. Oh, right, okay. It's, it's, yeah, this yes. part's, the, part, the head part's... It's off. Now, when he had pulled the, when his hand got shot with a gun, he'd taken it and put it on the, like, hump between the seats. <sighs> okay. Assistant DA, quote... I turned to my right and took the gun from Jackson's hand, which was lying over the hump in the middle of the van. I fired a shot at Jackson. Uh, McLean was moving toward the left side, toward the front, and I shot him in the back. I turned and fired a shot in the area of, Chris- in the area of Christmas, and then I shot McGee in the chest. I shot once, and he was moving, and I tried to shoot again, but the gun clicked, and he stopped moving. 
This is why you take the baby instead of the DA. Yeah, fair. Fair. Right? Fair. Holds up. The assistant DA, quote, I, yell, I yelled out of the van, stop firing, please stop firing. And right then, at the same time, I felt the pain in my back. My legs gave out, and I crumpled down. A cop had shot him in the back. Ugh. The blood flowed out of the van and pulled on the street. The judge's head and face were splattered on everyone inside and all over the walls of the van. Oh, my, what? Jonathan McLean. Sorry, hold on. There is There's judge, judge face splattered all yeah. over the interior There's, of the van it's now? A judge, yeah, judge face. Oh, oh my God. Um, you just don't prepare yourself for that kind of van ride. You don't. Uh, Jonathan McLean and Christmas were dead. McGee was seriously wounded. The assistant DA was paralyzed for lice. For life. And for legs. This would become known as the Marin County Shootout. My dad was in the building, and he was an assistant DA, and he quit, I think, the next week. I like how he hung in there for a week. Uh, You know, I'm just thinking back to last week. Maybe this isn't the spot for me anymore. Uh, Jonathan was given a full Black Panther funeral in Oakland. In the van, they found an M1 carbine and a briefcase full of ammo, which investigators traced to Angela. A week after, she was charged with being an accomplice to murder, but she had already vanished. Now, later, it turned out Jonathan was not supposed to have acted alone. Hmm. A Black Panther squad car had been training in the Santa Cruz Mountains was supposed to back him up. And then another squad at the same time was supposed to hijack a plane at San Francisco Airport, which they would then trade the hostages for George, and they would all fly to Cuba. Okay, right. I would, that I was, was the assume, plan. Yeah, I was assuming there was a part B to the plan. But Huey Newton thought the cops were on to the plan and pulled out at the last minute. Okay. Jonathan then decided to do it alone, which might be why he and Angelo were screaming at each other in the van. What was his plan as far as the airport then? He didn't have one. There was Just like, go buy six tickets? Yeah, there... <clears throat> Do you have anything next to each other, too? <laughs> That's kind of important, especially for old judges. Here. Yeah, Cuba. We would like to go to Cuba. Cuba? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also been, there are also rumors of a second possible plan in which Carr was waiting a few blocks away, and they would switch vans, then go to the airport, which was where the Black Panthers were hijacking. So, but they hadn't. But then they would go to Algeria instead of Cuba. Right, okay. Uh, either way, George blamed Huey for Jonathan's death. <laughs> Carr argued with Newton and threatened to kill him. Angela went into hiding. On October 13, 1970, FBI agents found her car at a Howard Johnson Motor Lodge in New York City. Okay. And she was arrested and held in solitary. Thousands of people around the country organized for a release. There were 200 committees in the U.S. and 67 in other countries. John Lennon and Yoko Ono wrote a song for her. Shut up. What song? (laughs) What song? It's just, I don't know. I don't remember what it was called. Who fucking cares? <laughs> Shut up, Yoko. <laughs> I think yeah. I finally found someone to be mad at in this story. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Yoko Ono's the one you're pissed at? Law enforcement judge face splattered around a van like an experiment? That goddamn Yoko Ono. <laughs> So sick of her. Uh, Yoko Ono really hasn't done anything for 30 years as far as, like, stepping on the Beatles' legacy, but still. 
dare she? Well, they both annoy me, honestly. Lena, Yoko. Yeah, they kind of did become one force. Fucking peace fucking or whatever they did. Shut up. They weren't peace fucking. They did a lay in. What? They did a lay in, a bed in, a sit in, uh, lay down. Fucking, what, for what? Well, for peace. It's okay. It worked, asshole. The fuck, it worked. Yeah, look at the world now. Name <laughs> one more. <laughs> What a rich white guy idea of how to change the world. We're going to go to bed. Fuck. Boy, Fuck that you. really is the white guy way. <laughs> that is so true. Uh, I'm going to protest by watching Seinfeld <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Sir, shut the fuck up. <laughs> How many strikes do we have to call? Dude's been pitching all night. Someone tweeted the other day, I always love it when, when Gareth finally snaps and tells someone to shut the it's fuck just up. Like, <laughs> it's like, bah, 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 bah. George wasn't done trying to escape. Good. So he could lead the revolution. In January 1971, Carr was staying at Betsy Hammer's house and she dropped off a pair of pants at Santa Cruz Dry Cleaners. Hmm. Sounds pretty normal so far. <laughs> the owner's daughter went through the pockets and found a letter. She gave it to her father. Her father read it, and he gave it to the sheriff's department. Oh, good. Good, good, it good. It became known as the pants pocket letter. <laughs> this is the PPL? <laughs> In the famous. Wow. You know where we found it? In the tuxedo pants pocket. Pants. Yeah, shit. Yes, the yeah. pants pocket. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That's why we named it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It felt pretty good when we came up with it. it you guys really knocked it out of the park. Really. Yeah. Anyway, that's all we did. We haven't read it. We just found it. Can I have my sandwich, sir? <laughs> uh, the letter was written... It was a back and forth between George and Carr, and it laid out an elaborate military style. So a terrible thing to leave in the dry cleaning. <laughs> pa- I mean, as far as things you forget, like people are like, oh, I left a 20 in there. Oh, my weed's in there. She's like, oh, I left like evidence to get, put me away forever in there. <laughs> Should go back. Ah, oh, fuck it. It's probably on the little boo at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I left something in the pot. No, the other pocket, the crime pocket. Uh, could you take that out? It's uh, this a list is of- the evidence rack of clothes. <laughs> we can't give that to you. No, that has a. Uh, it's got a whole plan about a revolution. Do you have your ticket? No. Oh well. Then- but I just dropped it off. My name's Hammer. Oh, that's a tool, not a name. No, it is. Joan Hammer. Well, unless you have a ticket. <laughs> what is that? Uh, it's how I celebrate. What are you celebrating? Uh, you're nothing. He said you're it's going to nothing. What? Nothing. You're going to jail. What? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Oh my! Fuck! Did you read the letter? <laughs> no. That's what letter? Private. The one in the pants pocket. The, the crime pants pocket. pocket letter. No. Uh. You mean the correspondence? <gasps> You're going to have a ticket soon enough, Missy. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go behind where you can't see anymore. Okay. Right back here. 
You can kind of see me through some of the clothes, yeah. but not totally. Here, hold on. Let me move, I'll move this wedding dress in front of me. Now you can't see shit. Am I even here anymore? Yeah, I can see your feet. The clothes I'm coming out of the fucking ground, I can see everything from your thighs down. Do you like how my thighs look? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. I've been doing a lot of squats. Fuck yeah, you have. Well, this has had a lot of turns in it. <laughs> uh, so the letter laid out an elaborate military-style attempt Jeez. to break George out of prison and head into the Sierra Nevada mountains where they would gather their rebels to fight against the United States government. All right, take the plan out. Oh, no. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. I think it's in my other pants. <laughs> Fuck, those are my revolutionary pants. Uh... On April 6, 1971, there was a pretrial hearing for the Soledad brothers. Uh, George wanted to be switched to the San Francisco jail so he could be closer. The judge denied it. Then George leapt up on a chair and started chanting power to the people and death to pigs. All right, fine. <laughs> you make a great case there, George. Go ahead. And then his supporters in, in the courtroom started chanting along with him. And then uh, they tried to take George out of the courtroom and a yeah, Black Panther luck. tried to hand him a Black Panther newspaper and a, a guard went to grab it and elbowed George and then George did some karate and uh, karate chopped the guard. <laughs> karate, okay. And then all the cops piled on George and then all the supporters came running in to help. Oh my God. And they had to come. So it's a bench clearing brawl in the yeah, courtroom. Yeah. yeah. And then they call in a tactical squad to come in and put an end to it. Uh-huh. Uh, and a bunch of guys were arrested, including James Carr, who had violated his parole, and James Carr went back to prison. Okay. So that was the guy who was going to in charge of the breakout right. on the outside. April 20th, 1971. George's son, uh, sorry, Jonathan's son was born. George was elated. Quote, I want to see him as soon as possible. I, I have know- some literature for him. <laughs> Oh, you can, we can wait a minute. I know he's beautiful and evil. I mean, reading that? Well, that's... that's is he saying evil? I can't... Terrible world he inherits. His first word should be, all right, everyone freeze. I'm taking over. Jesus. That's a lot for a baby to yeah, say. It's a, I mean, it's, it's ambitious. First, yeah. Ambitious. I mean, first words? What were his first words? He said hot dog. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, we lost him early. Well, start again. We'll try with the next one. This one's not worth it. In the summer of 1971, things got heated between Angela and George. They got a court order that allowed her to visit for legal conferences related to their trial. Mm -hmm. They met three times at San Quentin in the dining room. The first Mm -hmm. meeting was seven and a half hours. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. (laughs) The guard on duty, quote, they engage in what can only be described as sex, lascivious, as a lascivious embrace lasting approximately 10 minutes. Both parties took delight in folding each other with the obvious intention to sexually arouse each other. They both finished, as did the guards on duty. 
They spent two hours kissing, and she climbed on his lap. What the, kind of? I mean, if you're like, I'm not sure what the protocol is, but you're probably supposed to not let them do that. But he's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I am writing this now down. She's she's the legal counsel, right? This is a legal strategy. Are you inside your legal counsel? Uh, guilty. The guard's report was then sent to the FBI, and the FBI distributed it throughout the agency what, what, what with if, the headline, Obscene. What, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Good Lord. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were sitting on each other's laps. Well, this wasn't worth reading. Uh, <laughs> uh, around this time, George was interviewed by the New York Times, and during the interview, he told the reporter, quote, Truth is, I plan to escape. (laughs) (laughs) You're not any kind of big paper or anything, right? One of uh, George's lawyers was Steve Bingham. He met the warden to discuss who could visit George. The warden, quote, he came in dressed in combat fatigues, smoking a cigarillo, and he looked like Castro. Like he would have liked to have been in the vanguard of the Cuban Revolution. He had an attitude we'd seen a lot then. He harbored a great deal of anger. He treated us with contempt, as if we were despicable people. Unbelievable. George met with tons of lawyers. He met with 17 that summer. And Steve was enamored with George. He knew how, and George knew how to pour it on for Steve's type. On August 1st, the day of the New York Times interview was published, two of George's sisters went to visit him. Okay. They brought three kids with them. The oldest was a boy of 12. Okay. Who set off the metal detector. And the guard asked what he had, and the boy said, I have a toy gun. Okay. And then he pulled out a toy pistol that was strapped to his leg. <laughs> <laughs> like any 12-year-old. What? He fucking strapped that shit. Yeah. Okay. It was metal and looked very much like a real twenty-two. Hey. They're really making these very uh, realistic lately, huh? Where'd you get this? Gun, gun store. So the gun store sells toy guns? Yeah. Look at that. Oh, put it in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh. I pull the trigger. It's funny. It's funny. It's, it, it squirts sugar. It squirts sugar well, stuff. I'm diabetic. Otherwise, oh. I wouldn't. Uh. If you hadn't said that sugar part, I'd pulled that trigger, too. Well, next time, son. You want to squirt? Nope. All right, there you go, kiddo. <laughs> Get in there, you little <laughs> scamp. There's a bunch of little candy bullets falling out from your pant leg. <laughs> uh. The guard asked the other kids if they had toy guns, and they said they did. I what? have a toy machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> and I have chocolate grenades. Uh, one was just a plastic gun that shot discs, and the other was a twenty-two caliber starter pistol with a revolving chamber. <laughs> Okay, so... (laughs) The warden thought this was a dry run to see if they could get guns into George. Uh Uh-huh. Lynn Urbank was a white woman who was into the Panthers. One day, two Panthers came to her home to see her, and they asked if she would smuggle George two test tubes of nitroglycerin by putting them in her vagina. Yes. (laughs) I will. Uh Uh-huh. Is there anything else I need to do? <laughs> I can get some more stuff will in I, there if you need it. What else do we need to get to him? Will I come? Yeah. 
Lynn would later say she refused because it was too dangerous to put explosives in her vagina. I guess I never saw it from that angle. <laughs> I guess it is. Yeah, that makes sense. On August 8th, there was agitation between guards and inmates at San Quentin. The other two Soledad brothers were involved, and George was pissed. He wrote to them, quote, I've been bringing weapons in with every visit, and in two weeks, exactly, there will be a violent confrontation with weapons against the pigs. Is this letter in the dry cleaner pocket? <laughs> oh, damn it. Hidden in his cell, there was a pipe, a 22 caliber, caliber bullet, wow. and everything to make a zip gun hidden in a block of cheese. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Johnny Spain had five shotgun shells, a 22 caliber cartridge, and 1338 cartridges in hollowed out bars of soap. And they had two vials of liquid explosives. Whoa. All right. So someone stepped up. Yeah. <laughs> someone had a vagina with some courage. Yeah. <laughs> On August 21st, lawyer Steve made a last second visit to George. He came with a Black Panther woman named Vanita Anderson, who was one of George's legal advisors. Now, Vanita had an attache case. And the guards searched it. Uh, but then they wouldn't let Vanita in because she'd already... They, they'd been restricting George's visitors, so this was the second time in a week, so like some arbitrary rule they made up. Okay. So she told Steve uh, she was there to help George write the last chapter of his second book and to take the attache case in in case he wanted to record. There's a recorder in it. Right. Now, okay. he goes in. As George walks to the visitor's room... He looked in uh, the mirror and fluffed his afro, which was five or six inches high, nice. which, which was new. Okay. He usually had his hair close cropped. After his visit with Steve, he headed back to his cell with a guard escort. Inmates were always searched after a visit, uh, standard procedure, including running their hands through an inmate's hair. Now, the uh, guard in this case was not known for strictly following rules. Okay. And George knew this. His hair was not searched. Wow. So he's just got a stash on his afro. <laughs> he's got a stash bro. <laughs> As they crossed the chapel, the chapel plaza, two guards in another building were watching, and they discussed how much larger George's hair looked today. He's got like Phil Spector hair. <laughs> this is huge today. It's quite an afro George has. Is it humid? It's really poofing out. Entering the AC, so the AC is the place where all the really, really badass uh, prisoners are kept. Okay. Uh, two white inmates were locked into the kitchen to avoid trouble. And as he walked in, George saw a guard he hated, who he considered to be a traitor against his own people. The guard was Chicano and a known asshole. And he, if, he was like, now you, got, you, you search... Prisoners, when they leave the visiting room, then you search them when they come into the, the block. Mm -hmm. So he goes up to search George. And George stopped. And as the guard patted him down, he looked up and noticed something shiny in George's hair. I can't believe he's got this in his hair still. He, he thought it was a pencil, and he asked George twice. You got a shiny silver gun-like pencil in your hair. <laughs> The hell is that? He asked George twice, what's that in your hair? 
And George said nothing. So the guard reached up and poked it. But whatever it was didn't move because it was so heavy. And then George reached up and pulled on the back of his hair. I believe that he's... And the guard realized he had a wig on, and suddenly George was holding a 9 millimeter pistol. Oh, my God. That he took out of under a wig that was on his head. Wow. This is the greatest plan ever. All four guards that were there just stared in disbelief. I mean, yeah. Did you just... Yeah, that was really good. That was really, that's awesome. That was really good. That was really, really good. That was really good. George said, quote, all right, gentlemen, this is it. I'm taking over. The dragon has come. I would be very scared. George had the guards lie on their stomachs in the foyer and yelled at his fellow inmates, quote, The black dragon has come to free you. Our plans have changed. It's now or never. We've got to stick together, comrades. If you're with me, go to the doors of your cell. If you're not, don't come out. Guess who's with you? (laughs) Everybody. Yeah. The guards opened the cell doors. Soon there were 30 convicts loose. Three guards were tied up with pillowcases put over their heads, and then their throats were slit. Holy shit. Guys, it's a revolution. (laughs) The white inmates were killed. And then more guards. When the guards didn't return to other parts of the prison, the sergeant wanted to know what the holdup was. Another guard came to look and peeked in the window, and there he saw George pointing a gun right at him and saying to open the door. So the guard, the guard dropped right as George shot, and he missed, and then the guard got away and sounded the alarm. George knew the revolution was over. It's very quick revolution. <laughs> Yeah, when you don't get outside of the building, yeah. you're in, it's a really shitty it's revolution. Tough, yeah. yeah, an indoor. revolution. That's like what they say about revolutions. First, first rule of revolution is get, get outside. Out, get outside. Get outside. Yeah. Yep. Get out of the building. Armed guards were uh, getting into position. George didn't want all his comrades to die, and he said, "Quote: It's me they want." And kicked open the AC door, running into the plaza, gun in hand. Spain ran out behind him. George Shart, shot Shart. Well, yeah, George I mean, Shart in a very pants. dramatic moment. In a final act of aggressive Why nature. Why did I eat spam? Something George would have made it if he hadn't tried to fart, but shit. <laughs> George shot at a guard on the rail above. George sharted at a guard. And then he... Ran, and as he was turning around the corner of a building, a guard shot at George and hit him in the ankle, shattering the bone. George just stumbled and then kept running. Oh, my God. Running? Yeah, running. He was just like, fuck that. It's just a shattered ankle. Oh, my God. Got to do more than that, bitch. By the way, that guard, too. I did pretty good, sir. Where'd you get him? Chest? Ankle. (laughs) Yeah. He's not going to be able to wear that pair of shoes for too long. (laughs) Uh, So he kept running, and... Ran another 30 yards down the driveway. An expert sharpshooter was just waiting, and from 80 yards away, he fired one shot. It entered through George's lower back, traveled up, fracturing three ribs, through his neck, through the right lobe of his brain, and out his skull. George was dead before he hit the ground. What kind of shot? Was he, like, in blank? Yeah, it's like a fucking crazy Kennedy-killing shot, like a miracle. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, right, yeah. 
Some of, some of these guys, they combine shooting with pinball. Well, by your sound effects, that came across. Uh, Spain jumped and hid in some bushes. But they all knew where he was, so they ordered him to crawl out. Uh, okay. Spain came out and laid a glass vial wrapped in black tape on the ground. Uh-oh. Quote, be careful with that goddamn thing. You'll kill us all. And it's been in a vagina. <laughs> Uh, they searched George, who also had a, vi- a vial. They both thought it was nitroglycerin, but it was just water and hydrochloric acid. <laughs> well, just. <laughs> in, the a- in the AC, the inmates yelled that they had hostages, and the lieutenant yelled back, hostages don't mean shit. That's tough to hear. <laughs> when you're in that position, you're like, we'll, we'll kill him? A, a guard shot a machine gun at the back wall. And then uh, two guards came out, one from under the pile of the other guards' bodies, uh, and they were both just covered in blood, and then they realized there's no way they had hostages because those guys were alive, right. barely. Uh, and they, they told all the prisoners to take off their clothes and come out, and they did. One guard then shot one of the inmates in the ass. Okay. This was the inmate who had refused to kill George, and shooting him in the ass was payback. Prison rules? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) You know why I did that? I do. Yes, because... I do. I know prison rules. (laughs) You got me. A deal's a deal. I should have been on ghoul. Then the entire prison revolted. Prisoners refused to go back to their cells. They set fires. They resisted all orders. Guards shot their rifles all day. San Quentin became a war zone, and for a while it looked like the guards might lose complete control of the prison. But they finally got it back. Angela Davis was tried in Santa Clara in front of an all-white jury, Hmm. and they found her innocent. When's the last time that happened in America? Then. (laughs) (laughs) Steve Bingham uh, was on the run in Europe for 13 years. He eventually surrendered in San Francisco. He claimed he had been framed, and he was tried and acquitted. Hmm. Today, Angela Davis is an American political activist, philosopher, academic, and author. She is professor... Uh, she's a retired professor, uh, a professor at University of Santa Cruz. Uh, the Black Gorilla family became less political, and today is one of the most feared violent gangs in the prison system. They still believe the revolution is coming, though. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Quite a... Uh, kind of makes me want to go to prison for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Shit. Uh, all these uh, people thought that he was just killed in prison. They, like, it became this big cause. Like, this, they were, he was fucking murdered. Right. But like, no one... Like, he, they did just kill guards and put him in a pile, so... Yeah. Uh. I know, but it's like you can, you can keep tracing that back further and further. I mean, it's just like you yeah, create they, conditions where... No, you ma- they made him. They made, yeah, they made their monster. And, you, and, and it, I mean, we talked about it before. Like, if you put someone in solitary... Solitary confinement yes. is just... Un- it should be illegal. It, it's unacceptable treatment of yeah. any human life, so it is like... It's considered torture in many countries. Yeah, and it is. And so, you know, 
as we were alluding to before, if you have a system that's set up for profit, then of course you're going to not give a shit. Like the people's, you know, really, if your job is to just make money and keep generating more and more bodies, more and more bodies, you're just going to give less and less of a shit because it's more and more of a business. Mm -hmm. And that just takes you to the point where there's like you, there's no value of human life. So if you put people in places where they're totally alone, you can't piece them back together. Right. Like you've, you've broke it. You broke it. You, you know, it's your fucking fault. And we just, they're like, okay, we're doing that. It's your fault specifically. The fuck did I do? You did a lot of dumb shit, but. Yeah. Uh, The black, I wish I could remember exactly what happened, but the black gorilla family, there is a guard. It was like in Baltimore uh, recently um, where something happened and he got busted, but he had gotten like five female guards pregnant. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, got some fucking moves. <laughs> yeah, seriously. What's your pickup line, dude? Because I need to learn some shit. Yeah. Well, I don't. I'm married. Yeah. Yeah. You really sent it into that. Yeah, that got weird. Yeah. It's Valentine's Day. What an honor it must be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Five strong. Um, uh, uh, I, I, and I do think that. Like, you know, there is such a class and race problem in this country, and you just hear shit like that, and you're just like, yeah. I mean, it is same shit, different year, over and over and over again. I mean, the 70s were a little more crazy. Yeah, but... You should all, you should all uh, look up Marin County shootout and just look at the pictures, because there's just there were photographers in the hallway. So as they walk out with the gun against the judge and stuff, they're, they're just... It's crazy. And Jonathan looks so fucking young. You're like, oh, my God, that's a kid. Yeah, that's that's a kid. that part is crazy. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we started off depressing, and we bookended it nicely, so that's cool. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, but it's just nice to read about a place where I grew up. And, I love uh, you. I really would. I, at night, I would take tires out of the gas station and go up on the hill and roll them down. And, boy, <laughs> drivers really can hit their brakes hard. Well, at least you did your part, Dave. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for coming out. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Love you. We'll be back. Thank you. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, 
to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.